Hello, and welcome to Labors in the Harvest with Kevin Folger. This podcast is a weekly conversation about the gospel and the work that God is doing through those who labor for him. Kevin Folger, your host, is a man with over four decades of ministry experience. For 41 years, he served on the pastoral staff of Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. He currently serves as a North America Director of Spiritual Leadership Asia, a ministry that assists those endeavoring to preach the gospel and plant Baptist churches in the 1040 window with a particular focus on Asia. Now here's Kevin with this week's Labors in the Harvest podcast. Labors in the Harvest podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today for this particular episode. I'm real excited about our episode today because I've got two very special guests with me uh, in the recording studio today. Uh, And uh, these are folks that I have come to know and to love uh, as God brought them into my life several years ago. So I want to take this opportunity to uh, welcome James and his wife, Rebecca Maletti, to the studio. James, good to have you with us today. Hi, Pastor. Thanks for having us. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Well, uh, God's been doing some great things in your life here in the last uh, several years, and uh, obviously it all begins at salvation, but let's just start where you are right now. So uh, just in the last three or four weeks, uh, you guys took a real step of faith, and uh, actually, I guess maybe it goes back a little bit further than that, but just the actual um, organic aspect of uh, a new church plant, correct? Yes, we have uh, opened, we're in a church plant right now out of Cleveland Baptist Church that's called River Westlake Baptist Church. On directly on the border of Rocky River and Westlake, Ohio, okay. right on a uh, major street. And we have um, a building that we're in right now that is a real historic building, a hundred year over a 100-year-old facility. And, uh, I mean, to imagine where we are right now compared to where we were just, I mean, probably about six years ago, I owned a liquor license. <laughs> and now... And now we're 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 uh, in in a church plant, yeah. starting a church, and it's it's a phenomenal transformation. All right, well, it is a phenomenal transformation. In fact, uh, you guys don't know this, but I use your il- you guys as illustrations every place I go as a, a preaching illustration of the grace Thank of you. God and and uh, His work in people's lives, and just uh, it's amazing. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the church plant. Um, again, you mentioned Rocky River and Westlake. For those of folks who listen around the country, uh, we want to talk just a little bit specifically. Cleveland, of course, as a city, sets on the lake, Lake Erie. And then across around the lake uh, are these various suburbs. And uh, the further west you go or the further east you go, the suburbs tend to be a little bit more affluent. So uh, you're in uh, Rocky River and West Lake, which are both fairly affluent suburbs. Is that correct? Yes, very. We've been out canvassing like, like absolute mad people. Matter of fact, I, I don't know if you can see, I've lost 11 pounds <laughs> wow. and in three months have worn out a pair of tennis shoes. Wow. Because uh, we've canvassed so much with the cards that we've made and just trying to get people to know that there's a new church in the area because Rocky River, 22,000 person city, population of 22,000 people, no Baptist church. And Westlake, between the two, there's about 50,000 people of which there is one Baptist church in Westlake, but they don't use the King James Bible and they are kind of like a rock and roll church. So. Mm-hmm. You know, they need a they right. need a real Baptist church. Right. Well, the philosophy that I think we developed here at Cleveland Baptist through the years, and I think it started with Pastor Thompson, and then, of course, I continued it on, and I still it's continuing on through my son now, Pastor Pete, the third pastor of the church, is the fact that we never believed in 
developing what we call a mega church, one large church. We, we really felt like we needed to kind of franchise our church. Uh, and as the population shifts, and it, it's shifting away from where Cleveland Baptist is located, we're an interbelt suburb uh, closer to the city. And as it shifts to the west or to the east, then what we're seeing, of course, is that as our people move out there, they would continue to come, but as they win their neighbors to Christ or they invite their neighbors, they're probably not going to make that kind of drive, uh, you know, continually. So we really felt the need of, of really doing some church planning in this area. And I don't know how many independent Baptist churches there are in the greater Cleveland area, but I do believe that Cleveland Baptist through the years has had either a part directly or indirectly in, in starting those churches. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to say, I think a little bit the idea of what churches should do to plan a church has gotten a little bit skewed. I've gotten so, and Rebecca, my wife as well, have gotten so, our lives have changed so much because of Cleveland Baptist Church. The edification that we've got through Heritage Baptist Institute and through coming to every single service, really without missing, I think we've actually come to more services probably than you and Pastor Pete. <laughs> we've come to every service. We don't miss. But And so we've sat under this preaching, and we've sat under the teaching. And from where we were, like I said, we owned a liquor license, and I owned a, a bar, a music hall, but with a bar that we made our money. Um, and, and to where we are now is completely because of this church. And I think that's the way you edify the people and then send them out into the community. Regardless of how much money you give them or how much stuff you give them or how much anything of that, the edification and the knowledge that we've gotten from Cleveland Baptist Church is irreplaceable and has equipped us to go out and now spread that knowledge to other people so they can then do the same as well. Well, and that's really what it's all about uh, as we think about churches. You know, the Bible talked about the churches of Galatia. It didn't say the church of Galatia. Galatia was a region. Cleveland's a region. It's not just a city. It's a, a literal region. I think they think say now there are like seven counties that make up what is called the greater Cleveland or metro area. And you're looking at 1.2 million people. It's impossible for one church to right. be able to reach that population and do it effectively. So, again, McDonald's is very wise. They don't have one mega McDonald's. Uh, they franchise, and they're in various neighborhoods. And uh, they obviously are very, um, you know, systematic very in their logistics and how they do it. And, uh, you know, we certainly believe in God's call upon a man and, and, and upon his wife to go do church planning, and that has to be recognized by the church. So let's stop for just a moment. Let's talk about where you were, okay? Yeah. That's that's really where we really want to start, okay? Before we move from there, can I just talk really quickly sure. about the call on a wife? Sure. Because I, I, I just want to stress how important it is that you are on board with your husband. Mm. Because when we took this endeavor, we sold our house, mm. everything that we had you know, is wrapped up into this. And if I had been resistant in that, the work of God would not have been right. as able to go forward right. as it does. Right. That was a big request from a wife. <laughs> hey, honey, uh, let's sell all our stuff and get all wrapped up into a church and put everything we have into planning this yeah. church. What do you think? What do you mean sell our house? She, Rebecca didn't, didn't, didn't hesitate for a second. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, let's do it. Well, you guys are a little unusual. <laughs> I don't know too many people who sell their house and buy a church building with a with a small house that they're going to live in. And you know, so again, it's just a little unusual. Most of the time, it doesn't work that way. But there's not one size fits all when it comes to church planning. It's done different ways. I mean, this opportunity came up, and sure. we could we yeah. moved on it. Yeah. I yeah. couldn't let it pass. Yeah. It's, it's just a small little church. Seats yeah. about seventy people, and mm -hmm. it's just 
It's a 100-year-old facility. It's just absolutely beautiful. The area is wonderful. The area is really interesting. It's like a, a Revelation 13, Laodicean church. <laughs> We're rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing. <laughs> and don't you know, really, that you're uh, wretched, uh, <laughs> wretched and, naked, and yeah. naked and miserable and poor? <laughs> it's that coming to life right in front of our faces. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a hard area, but all areas are hard areas. Right. What right. I've learned from it is specifically is that Jesus left his home in heaven to come here on earth to do mm-hmm. the work of God here on earth. And so if we can leave what we have to do his work, he'll bless us for that. Absolutely. Okay. For okay. Sure. okay. So let's uh, let's just kind of back up a little bit. And because, uh, you know, you mentioned six years ago you were had a liquor license and that you owned a, a music venue. So uh, let's begin even before that, because clearly you've been saved longer than six years, but it has been obviously a development of, of discipleship that has brought you to this point. So let's start where it starts, which obviously, uh, James, you were born in a kind of an affluent family. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Should I get into yeah, the details? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's what this is all about, okay? Yeah. My dad owned uh, some of the Cleveland sports teams, like the Indians and the Cavaliers and other ones that have come and gone that people probably wouldn't know outside the area, hockey teams and such. Yeah. But, uh, we, yeah, we lived in... Your dad actually was kind of the key guy to get getting the Cleveland Cavaliers started. He started yeah, them. Yeah. He went to the commissioner and, uh, you know put all the paperwork together and got the group of investors and he was the man that started the Cleveland Cavaliers in 1970 and mm-hmm. owned them for 11 years. Okay and uh, his your dad's name was Nick, Nick Maletti. He's legendary here in the greater Cleveland area. I mean if you're at all no sports you know the name Nick Maletti right? right. So That's that was the family, right. the home that you were born into and you were uh, an only child is that correct? That's right. Okay so talk about your early childhood. It was what kind of how, home were you raised in? Well, I was a great home. I, we had, I mean, we had all uh, big houses and everything nice, all the possessions in the world. And my parents were very loving and caring people, very kind, but totally unsaved. And uh, didn't, to, I always say to their credit, though, they were atheists, but not active militant atheists mm-hmm. where they raised me atheists. They didn't right. ever say a word about religion either way. They didn't say it was hogwash. They didn't say it was great. They didn't mm-hmm. say you should look into it. They didn't say anything about it. So I was comple- completely, un- had no knowledge whatsoever about what religion even was. I remember I didn't even know the difference between, that there was a difference between Catholic and Christian and all. I didn't have any. Talk about a blank slate. I was it. Okay. So... Uh, you know, how old were you when the Cleveland Cavaliers got got established? They were founded in 1970. Um, I would have probably been five years old. Okay, and then and then they built the Coliseum, which, if you're familiar with Cleveland sports, that was a huge uh, building that was built out in um, Richfield. Richfield, Ohio. Yeah, and of course, I think it was in 1976 where they played that and almost won the championship there in 1976. The building opened in 74 with a concert by Frank Sinatra, which my dad put together with great heartache and trauma. He tells that story all the time. <laughs> it's really fascinating, actually, because um, Frank Sinatra wouldn't open new buildings, uh, uh-huh. but he got he. My dad talked him into doing this one, and then the Cavaliers were horrible for the first five years of their existence, and then almost won the championship in 1976. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, it was uh, quite a da- time. I was uh, I was still in high school back in 1976. Oh, actually, I was, and I was out of I was in college in 1976, living in Missouri. So uh, it was uh, kind of following it from afar. So, but you talked about you know kind of just so our folks kind of aware. But your your dad had a loge out at the at the Richfield Coliseum, <laughs> and many times you'd spend the night out there. Is that right? <laughs> there, he was one of the first. I think the Philadelphia Spectrum might have been the first uh, facility with the loges. You know, which were like the private suites, mm. and um, then I think the Coliseum might have been the second one mm. to have loges. And we had a special, the owner 
of the calves and, and the Colosseum obviously could have special privileges. He designed into the building a special, like, super loge that had two floors and it was extra giant, really big. It was a kitchen in it. And then upstairs, that was a be- bedrooms. Yeah. So my parents had a bedroom and I had a bedroom. And if we were at a game or a concert or something late... He wouldn't want to drive home. We would just sleep there. Yeah. And then some days it would be a school night, and yeah. I would go to school the next day from the Coliseum, yeah. which the, my you know my friends at school they couldn't couldn't imagine. They couldn't believe yeah. it. Yeah. So with that kind of life, of course, you you met all kinds of people, and you know fam- what we consider quote famous people. And so you know from an outward perspective, most people would say, man, what a storybook life. But you know, your testimony is, yeah, it was it was a good home, but it was, in some respects, without God. Uh, in all respects, yeah, without God. Yeah, so, okay. All right, and then, uh, Rebecca, what's your background? Well, I was raised in Cleveland, mm-hmm. West Park, Cleveland. Okay. Grew up, went to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of tribulation in my upbringing, and um, so my early memories are pretty foggy a lot of mm-hmm. the time. Um, then when I went into high school, I went to public school, and my religious background was basically mostly just what the Catholic Church was. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know there was any other religious groups that believed in Jesus other than the Catholic Church. I thought it was just the Catholic Church. That was it, it huh? Was. Uh, yeah, that and, was Christianity. Yeah, right, that's yeah. what I thought. And um, because of that, when I was in college, there were um, the scandals came out with the molestation scandals mm. big time in the Catholic Church. And one of the things that that did in my mind, in my heart, was show it moved me away from anything that had to do with God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit in my mind. Because the only thing that I ever knew that that was was the Catholic Church. And so I ended up going into the occult. I got very deeply involved in a lot of occultish, occultish things, um, tarot cards, things like that. So let me just stop for just a moment. So sure. that obviously was your life, but... What was it that kind of, was it influence at college that kind of tipped that way, or how did that happen? Well, I think that influence probably started with me in high school. Okay. Um, a lot of my friends at that time were very in, involved in those And this was things. a public school, or was it a... It was, it was a public school. Okay, yeah, okay. It was a public school. Okay. And so um, there would be people that were, were that were into crystals and things like mm-hmm. that, and I had not, I had not had any background. Spiritism. Yeah, and yeah. You know, Ouija boards and things yeah. like that, and I hadn't um, ever known that that necessarily would have been something to shy away from, especially since I had... Um, left Catholic school and never really, it didn't really stick with me mm-hmm. real strongly anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, so by the time I was in college, I was I was getting more involved in those things, and that was working in my life in a greater way. So could, could you speak to the fact that there's like a, obviously we know that it's demonic, but you sensed it, so do you do you feel like there's this like a current that draws you further and further into this thing? Or? Well, I think it's just a natural progression. Mm-hmm. I mean, my mother listened to rock music my whole life, mm-hmm. and that those occultist themes are in the music. Whether or not whether or not you're paying attention, you're getting that influence. It's mm-hmm. coming into your head, and mm-hmm. it's like bathing you. Mm-hmm. And so as I grew, I was always listening to music. I always had, you know, rock music, you know, traditional rock music, and then also you know, punk music and things like that. And those, those themes are in there. So I think it's like a, like, like if, a, if the river is moving, you're just going along yeah, with it. So, so it flows, it's yeah. adding more things, but mm. you're already involved in okay. what's going on. So you finally get to a point where you were working in a new age type store. Or? Oh, sure. Sure. That was way, that was after college. Um, and as a matter of fact, I had done some traveling where I studied with a native American shaman mm-hmm. in, in this kind of seeking and searching. 
Um, and I had spent quite a bit of time there. And in the New Age um, movement, that gives you a lot of clout because they have a reverence, a special reverence for um, the old world religions, like they would call them, mm -hmm. like an African shamanism or mm -hmm. a, like a Native American shamanism. And, and so I was studying this as a way to, um, to grow my knowledge base. Um, and after that experience, I came home and I was um, studying what's called Reiki. And some people might be familiar with that. It's actually taught in um, a lot of hospitals and settings where they would have like um, massage therapy places. And so I was, I was a Reiki master. I had learned that. And there, there were classes and things that I was taking to further my education in, into the occult, which I didn't know at the time was the occult. Mm -hmm. I thought I was seeking spiritually. Mm -hmm. And so what that did was that allowed me to gain a position um, within a store, w w which was like, a, like an a ecumenical, but not Christian ecumenical, right. like ecumenical of all religions. If you ever see those coexist stickers, you yeah. know, they think every religion has validity. Right. Well, um, in that store, there were people who were involved in witchcraft. There were people who were involved in Satanism. There were people who were involved in Sufism. I mean, it was a little bit of everything. So you had these Hindu ideas coming in, and you had these um, pagan ideas and Wiccan ideas, and it all, all was kind of just like a big stew, like a mm. melting pot. Mm. And what I, what I saw when I was there was people would move from one to the next to the next and I, I myself was also yeah. moving from one never finding a fulfillment always seeing something seeking else. always seeking but never right, really never finding to the yeah, truth, yeah, yeah. like the Bible yeah, says right um, and I don't know how much more you want me to go well let's that. well you know I think what we're going to do is I think we're going to wrap up this episode and we'll pick that up next week uh, in our as we continue on our conversation but uh, it's fascinating stuff. We stop to think about how God works in our lives. Well, this is Kevin Folger. This is Labors in the Harvest podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. And in just a moment, you'll hear our announcer, and he'll give us some information about uh, the ministry. And uh, again, want to encourage you, if you've enjoyed the, uh, this particular episode, to join us next week. But also share, if you would, with others. Uh, have them uh, Let them know about Labors in the Harvest, these conversations that we're having with uh, the people of God who are trying to do a work for God. I want to say thank you and uh, pray that you have a blessed rest of your day. Thanks for listening. We hope that you've been encouraged by today's podcast. If you've been helped, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Please feel free to leave us a comment and or a rating. If you'd like more information about Kevin Folger, please visit his website, kevinfolger.com. We invite you to join us next time with more conversations with Kevin and his guests as they tell their story of being laborers in the harvest. <laughs>